This morning's scripture lesson is taken from 1 Peter 2, verses 19 to 24. You may follow the reading on the slides. The duty of Christians as servants of Christ. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. This is the word of God. Our brother Adrian will now bring us the message. Good morning, everyone. Wow, there's a lot of people here. <laughs> now, just looking back at the last two sermons that I've preached based on 1 Peter chapter 1, I spoke on suffering. We have a living hope, remember? God allows suffering not to destroy us, but to refine and purify us. We have a hope in Christ. Jesus arose from the dead and he's alive. And that's our living hope and faith. Now subsequently, continuing on the same chapter, we also touched on the topic of holiness. We are to be holy because God is holy. He already made us holy. And we are to maintain holiness. And that's who we are. Can I hear an amen to that? Amen. Today we're going to touch on another portion of text from First Peter to focus on another interesting topic, injustice. Sounds like a heavy topic. So may the Lord be with you. Let us pray. Come. Lord, you suffered for us, leaving us to follow in your ways. As we study your word today, guide us to all truth and understanding that we might fulfill your call upon our lives. Amen. Okay, now let me start on the light note with this story. Now, just a few days before Christmas, a post office worker at a main sorting office found an unstamped, handwritten, messy envelope addressed to God. Curious, eh? okay? This guy opened up and discovered that it was from an elderly lady who was in great distress because all of her savings, $200, has been stolen. As a result, she wouldn't have anything to eat for Christmas. So the man went to his fellow post office workers and took a collection offering for the woman. They all dug deep into their pockets and they came up with $180. So putting the money in a plain envelope with no note, 
There's nothing there. The post office worker sent it by special courier to the woman that very day. One week later, the same postal office worker saw another unstamped letter that had been addressed to God in the same handwriting. And here is what the note said. Dear God, thank you for the $180 that you sent me for Christmas. Otherwise, it would have really been terrible. By the way, God, it's $20 short. <laughs> but I think it's probably because the post office people stole it. Have you ever been criticized for trying to do something right? Have you ever been blamed for something you didn't do? Life doesn't seem to be fair sometimes. For all the effort you've put in, instead of getting appreciated, you get some unjust treatment. Kind of make you want to give up, right? After all, why bother trying when all you get is a slap in the face? Now, and for Christians... Let me say this, you're going to get this more and more because when your life goes wrong, the more godly or the more disciplined you are to follow the, 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 to live your lifestyle according to scripture, the more likely you're going to fall into this category. Now, First Peter is here to remind us and it's Peter writing to a group of people who is going through enormous pain and suffering. They're suffering from injustice through persecution, accusation, choosing to live that holy lifestyle according to scripture that's countercultural. Injustice is a big word. And to help us with today's sermon, I'd like to define its scope. We look at these three questions. Can we put it up? Injustice in a secular world, how does the world deal with it? Injustice in the Bible, what does God say about it? And how should we as Christians respond to injustice? So let's move to the first one, injustice in a secular world. Some years ago in U.S. Albany, Georgia, when the river overflowed and flooded the countryside in the city, it swept through two cemeteries, one white and one black. In the black cemeteries, it washed up caskets. Caskets and bodies were floating all over. The bodies telling the tale of racism and injustice. Now, for the city, required graves to be dug six foot deep. For the white, it was six foot. For the black, it's two foot, two feet. Sorry, two feet. And the flooded river tell the story all the racism surfaced. Just flipping through the papers today, or the past week, I've captured a few clips. you easily find stories and articles telling of more tales of injustice. There are many, many with sensational headlines, and I'll just highlight um, two. First one, straight A student, you might come across this. Straight A's, but not good enough for Plum, Universe, Plum Varsity courses. Student aced a perfect score in the exams but cannot get into a choice that she wants. The search for justice is everywhere and closer to home. We all feel for the family in the Coven murders if the murderer goes unpunished. There have been floods of injustice across every land in the world. You hear of racism, deceptive marketing, 
disparities in wages, power and dealings in high places, the rich get richer and sometimes by profiting from the poor. You can see that some of these issues are highly sensitive and political. This is because the world we live in is very much social. What affects you also affects me, affects us and our families. It kind of rhymes. Eh? Injustice and justice are highly social and public. A disclaimer. I'm not here to comment on public justice or politics. I'm not in a position to do so. This office is purely pastoral, strictly non-political. The reason I raise this up, which I think you, uh, you will know later when I explain, is to contrast a very secular view of injustice versus a biblical one and how Christians ought to respond because all of us here will suffer and all of us here will have to find a way to cope when we are unfairly treated. Using a secular worldview, can we get a definition of injustice then? So I've searched the dictionary, a few dictionaries online, and here's something that I got. Okay, the first one. Free dictionary online. Injustice, definition, lack of justice. That's why it's free, right? It's not very helpful. <laughs> Oxford Dictionary. Okay? Lack of justice. Or uh, lack of fairness of justice. Okay? The next one is dictionary.com. This one more meaningful. Fact of being unjust, violation of rights of others, or unfair action or treatment. Miriam Webster. Unjust treatment of another or a violation of one's right, uh, one's rights. So here we kind of have it somewhat a working definition that injustice is a violation of one's rights. Now it's easy to relate to that. Let me give you an example. This means that you know, it's something like as small as being shortchanged at at a supermarket. You know, maybe when you you know the price says one thing, then you take it, you go check out. The cashier charged you five cents more. Wah! Unfair, okay? Or maybe it's something more significant than that. Maybe somebody cheated you out of a large portion of money. Maybe you play by the rules and someone cheats and takes shortcuts. Maybe you have unreasonable parents or spouses or your boss treats you unfairly due to their own jealousy or insecurity. Maybe some drunkard slam into your car. The drunkard walked away, but one of your loved ones will never walk again. There's a million things that make us want to cry. It's not fair. We can all feel the sentiments when injustice hits us. It absolutely violates our right. It grips us. Now here's the problem. I think that this definition is weak. The question is, because what's our right? What's our right? Here's where we start to get all the sticky issues, uh, because our rights uh, are very much relative. As long as I don't have the same right as you, and you don't have the same right as me, conflict happens. And here's where sometimes also public law struggles especially to define the boundaries of personal rights. The right of speech, the rights of humanity are very difficult to define 
especially with different social backgrounds. When our rights don't seem to be represented or there's no payback, then it seems to be unjust or unfair, and injustice continues. Again, I'm not here to comment on a solution, but to empathize with public policymakers. I salute you for your bonus. It's a thankless job, and sometimes no amount of money is worth going through all the public scrutiny that comes with it. Eh? Okay? But my point, anyway, about this is injustice in a secular world, as you can see, is something based highly on one's rights and one's expectation, and it's often subjective, it's often relative based on how strong or how clear the public law defines it. What about the Bible? What does the Bible say about injustice? Let's now look at how scripture defines injustice. Well, the Bible is full of injustice accounts. Injustice in the Bible appears at many places and is largely categorized into these segments. And I'll put it up for you. The first one, injustice is seen in false accusation. Genesis 39, and some of you might know this story, Joseph and Potiphar's wife. Joseph was handsome, capable, good-looking, and Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him to sleep with her, which he didn't, of course. She can't get him, so she turned around and accused him of trying to violate her. Joseph got locked up in prison for that. So that's Injustice, false accusation. There's also injustice seen in dishonesty. 1 Samuel 8. Scripture tells us this, and, let's, uh, and let me read it for you. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as judges for Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah, and they served at Bathsheba. His sons did not walk in his ways, they turned aside after dishonest gains, accepted bribes, and perverted justice. So there you have it, injustice seen in dishonesty. Injustice is also seen in pain afflicted in the innocent, on the innocent. And this is more, no more clearly seen in the New Testament where the gospel was birthed out of injustice in Matthew 2. Herod the king, upon hearing the birth of Jesus ordered a massacre of all boys under the age of two. Under the age of two. Injustice is also seen in oppression of the poor, the needy and the helpless. All over the Bible, you have ex ex numerous accounts of exploits on those who are powerless to defend against themselves. You might ask, are there times in the Bible where even God's people or God's leaders are unjust? Of course! Scripture is extremely honest and transparent to reveal to us the injustice of God's leader. Let me take you to the book of Micah and see what is spoken from the Lord to his ruler and his prophets. Okay? His ruler, Micah 3.1.3. And I read this for you. And I said, Hear now, O heads of Jacob, and you, rulers of the house of Israel, is it not for you to know justice? You who hate good and love evil, who strip the skin from my people and the flesh from their bones, who also eat the flesh of my people, 
flay their skins from them, break their bones and chop them in pieces like meat for the pot, like flesh in the cauldron. That sounds very gross, right? Hey. Essentially what Michael is saying, he likened the unjust leaders, you are like hunters, you know. You kill and you eat. You took undue um, you took undue advantage of God's people who were supposed to be under your care. In fact, the leaders were so harsh that they were not satisfied with tearing off the skin and eating, on, eating the flesh. They even chopped their bones as if they were preparing a stew. And they left the people helpless by unfair legal action, by bribery, by theft, by oppression, and even by bloodshed. That's what Micah says. He says, the Lord hates it. Just when you think it doesn't get any worse, the people run to the church, and this is what the prophet say. This is what the prophet do. And Michael has this against the prophet. He says, and let me read it for you. Prophets are likened to the pastors of those days. Okay? Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who make my people stray, who chant peace while they chew with their teeth, but who prepare war against him, who puts nothing into their mouth. What does it say? Rather than serving as shepherds of the nation, caring for them and leading them properly, the false prophets were leading the people astray. These leaders were giving the people false hope by telling them that they won't be punished by God, there's no calamity. In fact, if someone paid the false, false uh, shepherds well, if one feeds them well, they will pronounce peace on him. In other words, if they, told what, if they told a person what they wanted to hear, they can get away for a price. On the other hand, if they do not, uh, they do not get fed or the prophets do not get paid, they'll be ready to oppose them and wage war against the person. The prophets were concerned with their own welfare rather than the nation's welfare. Materialism was their master. How would you feel today if I were to preach a sermon to say this? It's okay to sin. God forgives you anyway as long as you pay your tithe. I won't make it past there. No? <laughs> I'll become an unjust preacher. Because why? It is not okay to sin. Amen? And God definitely is not out to get your money. He's the one who gave it to you in the first place. So then, based on what we've covered in the Bible, do we have a definition of injustice? Let's look. The Hebrew word used for injustice is at well. To mean wrong, evil, sin, dishonesty, fault. It also means acts and behaviors or persons which are contrary to a standard, so possibly incurring guilt and punishment. In Greek, the word for injustice or unjust takes on a harsher tone. Adikia meaning to contrary to the will and law of God, to sin, to engage in wrongdoing. That's a higher standard compared to what our previous definition was. In fact, the Bible says injustice is sin. Injustice is sin. Why is injustice sin? Because God's nature is just and righteous. 
injustice naturally opposes the nature of God and is wrong. How does God view injustice? I'll let the Bible speak for itself. He hates them and forbids them. Deuteronomy 16.19 says this, Do not pervert justice or show partiality to injustice. Do not accept a bribe, for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and twists the words of the righteous. Proverbs 16, Proverbs 6, 16 to 19. I look through different versions, okay? But the message sounds the most Singaporean, okay? Let me read this for you. Here are six things God hates, and one more he loathes with the passion. Eyes that are arrogant, a tongue that lies, hands that, that murder the innocent, a heart that hatches evil plots, feet that raise down a wicked track, a mouth that lies under oath, a troublemaker in the family. Micah 2, 2-3, from the message again, says this, Doom to those who plot evil, who go to bed dreaming up crimes. As soon as it's morning, they are off full of energy doing what they have planned. They cover fields and grab them, find homes and take them. They bully the neighbor and his family, see people only for what they can gain out of them. God has had enough, he says. I have some plans of my own. Disaster because of this interbreeding evil. Your necks are on the line. You are not walking away from this. It's doomsday for you. I like the part, it's doomsday for you. Sounds damn cool. How does God intend to settle injustice? 2 Thessalonians 1, 6-7. Justice is on its way. When the master Jesus appears out of heaven in a blaze of fire with his strong angels, he'll even up the score by selling accounts with those who gave you such a bad time. His coming will be the break you've been waiting for. In other words, there will be a judgment and God will be fair. Revelations 21, 6-8 says this, He said to me, It is done. And this is at the end. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all these, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is second death. God takes injustice seriously. So what's the message in in scripture that's here for us? God is just. Injustice is sin. God is just. Injustice is sin. Now why am I raising this up? In the course of researching for this sermon, I came across a teaching by Bible scholar and teacher John Stott. And I echo his sentiments personally. And this is what John Stott says. There are a lot of people today Christians included, that justify their anger and their critical spirit by the wrongs that have been done to them. In other words, there are 
lots of people who if you point out to them that they seem to be duly unduly angry or bitter or critical or slanderous of others immediately they tell you how badly they've been treated how they've been let down or how they've been hurt let me give you an example for this if you give a negative feedback to somebody or if you give them a uh, a, a review or something just say like a feedback about their performance or conduct or anything negative as a feedback immediately they react and start justifying how unfair that comment is or how badly they're treated that's what it's talking about sounds familiar can you think of anyone like that are we like that John Stott says this there seems to be an automatic and deeply rooted sense that if I've been mistreated or let down or hurt, then the other person deserves to be shown up and brought to justice and paid back. And therefore, I have the right to make sure that happens and I can use criticisms or slander or put down or threats or grudges to make sure they get their punishment. And it seems to me, seems to me, that less and less do I hear people say, yes, I've been unjustly hurt, let down, mistreated, and yes, they deserve to be shown up and brought to justice and rebuked. But no, I will not be bitter. I will not retaliate. I will not criticize or slander. I will return good for evil and I will bless rather than curse. I think we need to recover this deep biblical teaching that God has called all Christians to endure unjust suffering without bitterness or revenge or the desire to hurt back. The world's definition of injustice starts out on a basis of rights. And if our right is not reciprocated according to our expectation, it is injustice towards us. Scripture defines injustice in a very different way. Anything departing from God's goodness and mercy is injustice. So today's message is really for myself also, and I pray that all, all of us here will take this lesson well. People outside church look at us and our responses, and if we are no different from them in our response, then we are guilty of stumbling. So as God's people, how are we supposed to respond according to Scripture? How should Christians respond to injustice? Those who believe, those who believe in Jesus ought to take God's word seriously and his word become authority over our lives. Amen. As God's people, we need to remember this. Romans 12:19. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. Remember, God is just. In fact, if you were to look at the entire chapter 12 of Romans, it is unbelievably countercultural. Let me read some parts of the, of the scripture for you. Romans 12, 1-2 says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good and pleasing and perfect will. What does it mean? 
if you have to look down in the chapter, you will find an entire section on love in action. And let me read this to you in Romans 12, 9 to 18. It says this, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Don't, do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. What is Romans 12 trying to say? One message. Mercy. Mercy. Scripture is telling us one thing very clearly. The way for Christians to handle injustice is not revenge, but mercy. What? Are you serious? I don't get it. Let me say that again. The way for Christians to handle injustice is not revenge, but mercy. Let me show you how this works from the Old and the New Testament. Old Testament says this, Be just and merciful, for God is just and merciful. In fact, this commandment is not new. We read from Micah just now. We read that God had finally had enough from his people and he gave his harshest rebuke to his prophets as well as his rulers. But even after that, what does the Lord require? And let's look at Micah 6, 8. The answer is very clear. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Let's read it together. To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Is it clear enough? Throughout biblical history, when God's people sin, but repent before Him, God's mercy is there to meet those who return to Him. He wants us to be like Him, just and merciful. He is just and merciful. That's His character. He wants us to be like Him. But you may say, hey, that's a command, you know. Got example or not? Is there any example that God is just and merciful? Let's go to the New Testament. Be just and merciful, for God is just and merciful. All of us here have sinned and we deserve judgment. All of us here deserve death because Romans 6.23 says this, The wages of sin is death. So according to scripture, God's justice upon sin is eternal death when judgment comes. The only way out is when God shows grace and mercy. One question, how does mercy fulfill justice? It happens when someone pays the price for justice. Here we come to today's scripture. 1 Peter 2.19 For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? 
But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. How so? Verse 22, He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on tree, so we so that we might die to our sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. This is amazing here. How did God deal with injustice? He used mercy. In one merciful act, justice is fulfilled. He bore our sins so that we die to sin and live for righteousness. God demands justice and he paid the price himself. His mercy, his grace became justice. That's the justice of mercy right there. On the cross, on the cross, God showed that he is just and merciful at the same time. So how did God deal with injustice? He used mercy. So for all who call upon God as Father, all who believe in Jesus as Lord, 1 Peter 2.21, this is for all of us here. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Be just and merciful, because God is just and merciful. Being merciful is the Christian way of dealing with injustice. For all those who have yet to believe in Jesus, let me close with this final point from Scripture. Romans 6.23, we read just now, tells us that the wages of sin is death. But we thank God the verse doesn't stop there. There's a second part to this verse, and it says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Unlike the world's way of handling injustice based on rights and expectation, the gift of mercy is God's way of handling injustice. Let me say, you can have that gift today. Let us pray. Be just and merciful, for God is just and merciful. Two groups of people I want to pray for today. The first group. You've been wondering what's so special about Christianity. Until today, you've not believed in Jesus, but you're here today. And you hear this message, and there's a stirring in your heart. Scripture is clear on justice. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let me say to you today, you can have this gift. With all eyes closed, all heads bow. If you want this gift of mercy, of eternal life, no one looking around, just raise up your hand. I want to pray for you. This is not to embarrass you. Just raise up your hand so that I can pray for you. Is there anyone here? I see that hand. I can put it down. Is there anyone here? 
I see that hand. Let's pray all together. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I have sinned against you and I deserve death. But I ask for your mercy upon me. I believe you died for me and paid the price for my sins. I now invite you to come into my heart. I receive the gift of mercy from you. Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. I receive this living hope in me now. In your name I pray. Amen. There's a second group that I want to pray for today as well. This is a call to all who love Jesus. And I want to pray for you. Come, let's pray. Let me remind you also that the Lord hates injustice and when we fail to show mercy to the poor and oppressed and walk humbly before the Lord, we too are at fault. If today's message stirs and convicts your heart, if it's convicted in a way, I want to pray for you. Maybe you play by the rules and someone cheats and takes shortcuts and you're suffering because of that. Maybe you feel bullied by the people around Maybe you feel wronged by people. For all the things you've done to gain their favor, there seem to be no recognition, but only criticisms. You struggle to show mercy. Scripture is clear. Be just and merciful, for he is just and merciful. On the count of three, raise your hand, I'll pray for you. One, if you struggle to show mercy, and I'll be first to raise up my hand to say, Lord, make me humble. Two, if you struggle with injustice in your life today, three, raise your hand. I see that 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 hand. Yes, you can put it down. All over. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. Yes. I see that hand. Is there anyone else? If you struggle with showing mercy, I want to pray for you. I see that hand. I see that hand. Yes, I see that hand. I see that hand. Come, let us pray. Father, I pray for those who have lifted their hands to you. You see the circumstances. Lord, you know our suffering. Give us strength and wisdom to act for change. We thank you for your mercy upon us and I ask that you speak through your living word to comfort and give hope to people who feel powerless and invincible. Help us fix our thoughts upon you and the mercy that you have given us. Lord, through our suffering, help us follow your example to walk humbly before you and to show mercy to those who oppresses. Lord, open our eyes that we may see the needs of others. Open our ears that we may hear the cries of the needy. Let us not be afraid to defend the weak. Let us not be afraid to defend the poor. Show us, Lord, where love, hope, and faith are needed and use us 
to bring these hope, love, and faith to those places. Lord, we pour out our lives to you, Jesus. Use us for your good works. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's put our hand to just thank Adrian for sharing the word with God with us. You know, as Adrian was sharing the word of God, and especially encouraging all of us who are suffering any kind of injustice in our life to practice mercy, you know, one of the thoughts that came to me, why mercy, Lord? Why do we need to practice mercy? Because sometimes it's so senseless, you know, to especially do good to those who harm you. And it suddenly dawned on me as the Lord, I feel the Lord speaking to me. The reason why we need to do or rather practice mercy is because all of us are sinful by nature. And no matter how much justice that we may exact, you know, it is always tainted with sin. And who knows, in our zealousness that we want to exact vengeance or, uh, you know, what kind of justice we want to dispense, we in the end, in the process of it, we may be sinning against others. And we may also be sinning against God. And that is why the best option is always to exercise mercy. And the other thing also this week, so happened that I read something. Uh, I just want to paraphrase this. Uh, I can't remember where I read it, but it says something like, you know, violence will always be the option whenever people don't believe in a God who judges. You see, the constant refrain from the Bible is always this. At the end of the day, when Jesus comes again, there's a final judgment. And that will be the final justice that God will meet, will meet to every one of us. And he will settle all injustice in this world. And so that's why the encouragement for all of us throughout the 2,000 years of church history, you know, a lot of Christians have gone through under execution, been martyred for their faith, they suffered all kinds of injustice. Why were they able to go through it and yet show love to their enemies, to their persecutors? Because they all believe that's a final day of judgment where God will judge all the people on their behalf. And so it is for us, if any one of us here is struggling with any injustice, my prayer to you is always remember this, that there is a day that God has reserved to judge all injustices in this world. So you don't have to fret. Your response and my response is to exercise mercy. And whatever injustice you suffer here, rest assured, God will one day pay them back on your behalf. And so because of this, we can continue to worship a Lord who is not only a God who loves us, but is also a God of wrath and judgment and fear. So in response, let us rise right now and let's turn to hymn 203 and let's sing this beautiful hymn as an act of response to our God. 203, Hail to the Lord's Anointed. Hail to the Lord's anointed, great David's greatest son. Hail in the time appointed, his reign on earth begun. He comes to break oppression, to set the captive free. To take away transgression and rule inequity, he comes with succor speedy.
to those who suffer wrong, to help the poor and needy, and be it the weak be strong, to give them songs of sighing, their darkness turned to light, whose souls condemn and dying. Are precious in His sight. He shall come down like showers upon the fruitful love, of joy and hope like flowers spring in His path to birth. Before Him on the mountains. Shall peace the herald go, and righteousness in fountains from hill to valley flow. To him shall prayer unceasing and daily vows ascend. His kingdom still increasing. A kingdom without end. The tide of time shall never His covenant remove. His name shall stand forever. That name to us is love. Just a reminder before the benediction: If you do need prayers after the service, please do come forward to the altar rails here, and we will have our ministers here praying for you. Let us pray. Father, we thank you once again for your word to us, and for those of us who suffer injustice. Help us today, Lord, that we will resolve that no matter what injustice we suffer, that we will not respond likewise, but we will show mercy, and we will wait for the day where you will vindicate us. And so, my friends, go forth. The Lord knows you. And he has hurt you, and he will keep you safe, for the meek will inherit the earth. He says, and so as you do that, may the blessing of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be always be with you. Amen. Be not dismayed.